0: That is the sound of the Medics Money Financial Clinic bleep going off, which means that today we are going to be helping out a Medics Money podcast listener with their financial problems. In clinic today is myself and Ed, and we are going to be talking about how relocation expenses are taxed, uh, how to avoid paying too much national insurance. We're going to tell you how the government can give you £1,000 per year tax free via a lifetime ISA. And if you're over 40 years old, like Ed, but not me, uh, and you don't already have a lifetime ISA, so that bit will be a bit painful for you, but uh, apologies for that. We also talk about investments and whether an S&P tracker is as diversified as you think, and if you don't know what that means, don't worry, we're going to explain all of that to you. So again, we're covering quite a lot of ground here, but if you want to keep it simple, then all you have to do is check out our free ebook, and I've dropped the link to that in the description. And going forward, if you want us to cover your own financial ailments, send us a question via email or ideally a voice recording to team at medicsmoney.co.uk. Once again, I have to say this podcast is for information and entertainment only and does not constitute any form of financial advice and tax rates and allowances are subject to change. Right, let's get into today's episode. So, it's a pleasure to be back in the Medics Money podcast studio with my colleague, Dr. Ed Cantello. Cool.
1: Hi, guys. Hi, Tommy.
0: Good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, shall we just get straight into it today?
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Let's go for it. I think it's going to be quite, uh, we've got quite a lot to cover. I think so. Yeah, you know, do. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, okay. So, today's question is from a Medics Money podcast listener, and it says I'm an ST4 urology trainee in the east of Scotland. Your website is excellent. Thanks. Doesn't say, say anything about the podcast.
1: <laughs> no, that's fair enough. You know, We'll take any any, any praise <laughs> we get, really, so it's yeah, good.
0: Yeah, uh, okay, the website's good, the uh, podcast needs work. Uh, anyway, myself and my partner are debt-free, apart from our mortgage. Have a £10,000 emergency fund. We use the NHS pension and also invest in a stocks and shares lifetime ISA in an S&P passive tracker to hopefully supplement an early retirement. Plus, I have some cryptocurrency and shares in a startup banking app. Your podcast and blog on overpayment of national insurance has sparked my attention as I have not come across this before. I suspect I've paid too much national insurance given that I've locumed in other NHS health boards within Scotland. I'm not entirely confident that I'm calculating it properly. So, it goes on to say, I receive income tax-free travel costs as a trainee junior doctor as per PCS DD 2010 forward slash eight. Are these exempt of national insurance? B, do you recommend a national insurance calculator for annual earnings? And C, what is the best way of finding your exact gross earnings in a given tax year? I'm not sure where I would confidently find this, minus travel expenses.
1: Phew. Okay. So quite, quite a few few questions there and quite a, quite a lot to, to cover, really. Um, shall we do, should, should I do my bit first and go for the, the questions? Yeah, definitely. The I've definitely stuff? got
0: something to say on this, but you yeah. go
1: first. Alright, good stuff. So, um, so just for, for those of you who don't know, uh, PCSDD 2010-8 that was referenced there, that's a, a, a Scottish Government NHS circular relating to relocation and excess travel expenses for doctors in training grades. And the aim of it is that doctors in training shouldn't be penalised or financially disadvantaged as a result of reasonable costs incurred to further their training or for a move that's in the interests of the the NHS. Uh, I understand that doctors are assigned one of five base hospitals and then excess travel, for which you get the payments for, that's the difference for each single journey between the doctor's home and their agreed base and their home to the placement Less the first eight miles. So you kind of work out what your um, what the, the mileage is between your home and the agreed base, uh, and you take that. Um, then you take the mileage between the home and the placement, or you're going for the training, uh, and you take the difference, and then less the first sort of eight miles. And that amount of mileage that you have got left, uh, you you is um, reimbursed to you. Okay, and you get a payment for. Um, Solicitors may know about mileage allowance, and, and if you don't, uh, we've got a really uh, good blog about it on our Medics Money website, so you might want to check that out. Payments from home to the usual place of work, so in this case the, the base, uh, do not qualify for mileage allowance and are not tax free. And you'll see that you know this circular doesn't give um, tra- reimbursed travel expenses from home to the doctor's base hospital, but those excess travel expenses. To placements or training um, they will be received income tax-free as our um, uh, podcast listener said they should also be national insurance free as well so it's a bit of a long long long-winded answer to basically say yes they should be national insurance free as well as income tax-free that said it may depend on the amount that you're paid so if in a tax year you're receiving more money in total from the kind of reimbursements uh, than 45p for the first ten thousand miles and then 25p for the excess miles over ten thousand, then national insurance may apply okay and um, your payroll department really should work out work it out for you and, and deduct any national insurance contributions that are due that's really their their job okay so if you're just an employee say just but if you're an employee um don't stress they should work that out but it should be national insurance free assuming you're not over a certain threshold okay and finally just because you know we mentioned this kind of pcs uh, DD2010-8, slash um, to say it also covers uh, relocation cost reimbursements for Scottish doctors. So up to £8,000 of relocation costs are income tax free and also not charged to national insurance either. Um, if you receive more than that, then uh, the, and I think the NHS actually pay up to £10,000, yep. I understand, uh, then the excess may be taxable and may be chargeable to national insurance. And this is a general principle for all employees, not just Scottish doctors, not just doctors. Uh, if any employee qualifies, you can claim uh, qualifying costs of relocating, such as moving costs or the cost of buying or selling a home, up to £8,000 tax and national insurance free. So if you're, um, let's say you're in F1 and you're going to have to relocate to a whole different part of the country for your F2 job and you're incurring costs, you should be able to um, reclaim up to £8,000 of those expenses tax and national insurance free.
0: Yeah, in our ebook, there's a link to the latest guidance on uh, these uh, relocation expenses because it is a yes. lot of money and yeah, definitely. Uh, it's definitely worth looking into in detail.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. I, I moved from a. Guildford Chichester for the stuff my F12F2 and I didn't take advantage of it. It was very silly, wish, I, kind of wish I had.
0: I paid my stamp duty with uh, the relocation expenses oh. which felt particularly good. Yeah,
1: that's that's amazing. But it's no really one good.
0: likes a smug man. You know.
1: <laughs> Especially not me, given I didn't get any money for it. <laughs> but uh, not that said, all I was only renting so I wouldn't have got any stamp duty costs anyway. Fair enough. So uh, cool, alright. And then um, I think our, our, our podcast listener then had another two questions. Um, I'm gonna answer the the kind of the last one next. So uh, the question was, uh, what is the best way of finding your exact gross earnings in a given tax year? Okay, so your gross earnings should be found on your P60 for the relevant tax year. P60 is a really crucial document that you should always, always um, keep uh, whenever you receive one, okay? The P60 basically summarizes your um, income, tax, national insurance, and student loans for the entirety of a tax year okay and if you want to know your um your uh, gross earnings for tax year you should be able to find that quite easily on your p60 as i say as well as your um, income tax bill and your national insurance bill as well if you want to know your travel expense reimbursements you though you may need to aggregate those amounts shown in your monthly payslips okay because i'm not i have to be honest i'm not quite sure if they would just include your entire gross pay including those um reimbursements or if uh, they would have those taken off already. They certainly wouldn't, I don't think they have those as a separate line anywhere on that P60. So you may just need to kind of uh, work that out yourself using uh, your, your pay slips. But certainly your actual gross pay, your gross earnings should be found on that P60. Okay. Cool. And then finally, and uh, you guys I'm sure will be very glad to not hear any more about National Insurance after this. Uh, there's a question of, you know, do you recommend an NIC calculator for annual earnings? Um, So for those of you listening who aren't sure what that's kind of about, uh, you may want to listen to our National Insurance podcast or or read our blog, as as was referenced earlier. Um, Basically, employees pay National Insurance at 12% up to a certain amount and then 2% after this. And if you have more than one job, then you may be overpaying National Insurance because more may be charged at 12% than should be when it should actually be charged at 2%. And in the blog, I run through how to calculate national insurance using an example. So if I thought I had overpaid national insurance, I would probably take my P60 for the tax year that I'm interested in, and I would use this, the the gross earnings on there, to calculate what my national insurance should be. I'll kind of match it up to the example that is found in that blog. I would then compare it to the actual payment of national insurance, which again is found on that P60 document. And if I've overpaid, or if I'm not sure if I've overpaid, I would um, contact the National Insurance Contribution Office um, for help. They usually then send you a form to complete, uh, asking you to outline the, um, for every job that you've done for the, uh, the NHS or for these local positions, uh, they'd ask you to complete the, your gross earnings and your National Insurance contributions uh, so they can do the required calculations. Which always kind of really amazes me because really the National Insurance Contribution Office has one job, which is to collect National Insurance. So I don't really know why they have to write you a letter asking you to tell them how much National Insurance you paid, but that's what they do. Um, and they are very helpful. They are very good. If uh, normally, if they think you have overpaid National Insurance, uh, they will contact you. But of course, they won't necessarily do that in every single circumstance. Um, so basically, I mean, to answer your question, I'm sure there are calculators on the internet you can find. I have no idea of their reliability, I have no idea if they're accurate or not. Uh, I'm fairly confident in my calculation on the blog, though, so, you know, and it's not particularly, honestly, it's not a particularly difficult calculation if you just match your gross earnings, follow what I do on the the blog, you should be able to work out how much your national insurance uh, payment should be, okay? I love it. And I'm gonna say one final thing uh, on national insurance, everyone's favorite topic. Uh, You also may pay too much national insurance if you are both an employee and self-employed okay so we've just been talking about someone who's employed by multiple jobs in multiple jobs and multiple trusts um, but if you're both an employee and a self-employed uh, individual uh, you may also pay too much national insurance usually self-employed individuals have to complete a self assessment tax return and the tax return calculation that's then generated should result in the correct national insurance bill and I mentioned that Not just for completeness, but because also I think we had a question from a listener also about uh, that exact question whether the tax return will actually calculate the correct amount of national insurance. We did. And uh, I believe, uh, I don't know if we've actually answered that question. So we haven't, that's the answer. It it should uh, all come out in the wash when you do your tax return.
0: Yeah, that was actually uh, a question that was asked via leaving us a review on iTunes, which is a particularly oh, okay. good way to get our attention. So hopefully that does cover we'll, that. We'll be a bit delayed. <laughs> so, sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry you poor listener. Um, yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, um, a few more things. I'm just going to give out some completely unsolicited advice. Uh, so first thing to say, this doctor uh, is well on top of their finances. You know, yeah. they've <laughs> claimed a tax rebate. Uh, they've, they're aware of the value of the NHS pension. They've gotten um, an emergency fund. The ebook talks about that. If you're not sure what that is, download it. Uh, they've started investing uh, and they're debt free apart from their mortgage. So whoever this is, they are smashing it in the personal finances, in my opinion. I'm gonna score this a seven out of 10 and I'll explain why seven out of 10 in a minute. But this is someone who's on top of their personal finances and this is the first time they've ever heard about national insurance and Oh, I it not say necessarily first of all, said about national sure, it's more about the overpayment side of things. Sure, yeah. Just but to clarify. Yeah, yeah. But I think um that National Insurance podcast and your blog article on it, they're not the most exciting, I think it's fair to say, but we get so, the most emails about that because mm, no one teaches us about this stuff. Yeah. It's really important, and because of the way that doctors' working patterns are, it's actually fairly common that you end up in a scenario where you do overpay. So um, mm. I'm going to say that those blogs and the podcast on National Insurance definitely not the most entertaining way to spend 40 minutes of your life, but... No, that's very true. No one's talking about it, and even someone like this doctor who's well on top of their finances doesn't doesn't know about it or hasn't done anything about it, so definitely have a little look at that. Um, okay, and I said I was going to give out some unsolicited uh, advice. Of course, me and Ed are not financial advisors, so this is not advice. It's just some observations. Uh, they said that they were they'd started a S and P tracker via a lifetime ISA with the goal of early retirement. So maybe we should just drill into that a bit more and I just wanted to make a few comments about that. So, an ISA, or Individual Savings Account, is what's known as a wrapper, and a wrapper is just another way of describing an account that can hold uh, your money, as in cash, or investments, stocks and shares, uh, in a tax efficient way. Uh, We like ISAs, Uh, I know we both have several ISAs, Uh, because you don't pay any tax when you put money into the ISA, you don't pay any tax on any increase in the value of the money in the ISA, e.g. from dividends or interest, or if whatever you're holding inside the ISA goes up in value, no tax, and you pay no tax when you remove the money from the ISA. So, you know.
1: (laughs) Depending on the type of ISA, but for the main part, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, 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 and uh, this listener specifically recommended lifetime ISAs, um, which is essentially where the government give you a thousand pounds per year, totally free money. Or is it? So you know, this listener said that they wanted to um, use their Stocks and Shares ISA to facilitate an early retirement using a lifetime ISA. So a lifetime ISA is a special type of ISA. It replaced the help to buy ISA and it's got a very useful bonus. So each tax year you can invest up to 4,000 pounds in a lifetime ISA, and the government will top this up with a 25% bonus up to a maximum of 1,000 pounds a year. So free money, or is it? Well. They say life begins at forty, and I know Ed's just had a big birthday, which is yep. I'm over the over the four oh mark now. I'm coming up as well. So life definitely does begin at forty, I would say, in my unbiased, nearly forty opinion, and I think you agree.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> but unfortunately, only those aged eighteen and over, but under forty, can open at a lifetime ISA. There's another big restriction to be aware of, and that is you can only withdraw the money from your lifetime ISA to buy your first house worth up to 450,000, or after the age of 60, or if you become terminally ill. They put some things in for COVID, but I'm just chosen to ignore that for simplicity. So withdrawing for any other reason will incur a penalty charge. So this doctor is saying they're using their lifetime ISA to fund an early retirement. I just wanted to flag up that that could be a great idea. Um, but they will only be able to access that money after the age of 60. So if they know that they won't need that money till after the age of 60, then having it all in a LISA, lifetime ISA, is potentially a good option, Mm -hmm. but it does have an obvious downside because you can only get it out after 60. Um, So personally, I've got a Lifetime ISA. Uh, I know Ed's also got a Lifetime ISA. But I also have a general uh, ISA account. Um, You know, just in case I wanted to withdraw any of that money before 60. So this might seem like a really trivial point, but I think it's actually something to think about. And I'm gonna hazard a guess that this doctor does not have a financial advisor. And that's not necessarily a criticism. But there are a few small things like this um, and some more things i we're going to talk about in a minute that a good financial advisor would definitely make you aware of. So just something to think about. Maybe I'm sweating the details on that a bit too much, but I'd hate this doctor to get to the age of 55, be ready to retire and have it all in lifetime ISO and have to wait another five years. That'd be a bit of a shocker. Uh, The other thing I would say is that the Lifetime ISA is invested in an S&P tracker. So maybe we should just talk a bit about that because some people might not even know what that means. So an S&P tracker is the Standard & Poor 500. It's a stock market index comprised of 500 large companies listed on stock exchanges in the United States. And a tracker is a low cost investment fund that owns essentially a piece of all of those companies, in this case, in the S&P 500. So if you buy an S&P 500 tracker, you own a little piece of all those those, uh, companies. And in general, they're an excellent way to invest. But I just wanted to point out that the S&P 500 is what's called a capitalization weighted index. And the 10 largest companies in this S&P index account for 27.5% of the size of the index. So the reason this doctor has bought an S&P tracker is to diversify, that is to spread their money amongst lots of different companies and that can be a way to reduce risk. But if you buy an S&P tracker, I just wanted to flag up that you actually got 27.5% of your money in only 10 companies, and those companies are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet (which is Google), Tesla, Berkshire Hathaway (which is Warren Buffett), J.P. Morgan, and Johnson and Johnson. So, if you're happy with that, you know having 27.5% in those 10 companies, then fine. But I'm assuming that this doctor brought the S and P 500 tracker to diversify, and it might not be as diversified as you think. Again, you know, I am picking my new here, but I'm just saying what I've observed. What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, obviously, it's not it's not a criticism. That's definitely, definitely not you know, a criticism. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just uh, so
1: like just little little points that we're kind of picking out. Yeah. Um, I do have another point I want to mention about the uh, the lifetime Isa's, but do. I don't know if you want. to uh, I just say no? Yeah, it's just a really well, it's not a small thing. And um, basically, for all you guys who are, or and girls who are approaching uh, forty, uh, you may want to consider even if you haven't got a lifetime Isa already, you may wish to consider um, setting one up before you turn forty, because once you turn forty, as we said, that opportunity completely goes. <clears throat> so. You, know, you may not want to actually particularly use it but at least if you set it up before you're 40 you've then got that option um to, to use one so you can only put money in between um up to the age of 50 i believe yeah so uh you know if you're about to turn 40 you know you, you'd have 10 years where you could enter in and put money into the the Lysa. um but still it gives you the option whereas if you get to the age of exactly 40 and beyond uh, and you haven't got a Lysa, then you know the opportunity is completely lost so Definitely. Just, if you haven't got one and you're about to turn 40, just you know, think about setting one up.
0: Yeah, and if you're not 40, if you've just turned 18, and yeah, everyone, great time, great yeah. time to <laughs> set one up, yeah? yeah Wish definitely. I could have set mine up at 18, but I was knee deep in med school debt at 18, and no no yeah. need for a lifetime ISA. I don't even know existed when I was 18. <laughs> <I'm> yeah, <loud. laughs> anyway, me and Ed are a bit Hey-ho. sensitive about this 40 thing, yeah, yeah, but, but uh, me, if you are age. coming up to 40, <laughs> um, congratulations, life is about to begin, but if you're wanting a LISA, you're about to miss the boat, so get on that boat. That's it. Um, Yeah, so the S&P tracker, um, maybe not as diversified as you think, but really, you know, this is really small print. Um, guess what I'm gonna talk about next?
1: I hope it's uh, more about national insurance.
0: <laughs> it's not, oh. um, it's not. What I'm gonna talk about is the other big thing which is missing from, not even mentioned by this doctor. And the reason I'm gonna talk about it is because I think this is also my biggest financial mistake and a mistake that loads and loads of doctors are mentioning okay so this doctor who we're doing today this they are on top of their financial game no doubt about it but absolutely zero mention of income protection insurance or life insurance so they didn't say if they had any kids or anything but this is a mistake that I made and loads of other doctors make so if you get sick and couldn't work could you pay your bills without your income um I couldn't uh, so I have insurance. Mm. Ed no, couldn't. No, He's got insurance. Not. Yeah. So I don't insure anything that I can afford to replace. So I don't insure my phone. I don't insure my bikes. I don't even insure my beloved surfboards. But I do insure mine and my family's future. And. We've got loads of information about this on the blog, and I think we did an entire podcast on it as well, but there's basically three major catastrophes that you can insure yourself against. So you can insure yourself against the inability to work due to an accident or illness, and this would usually be covered by something called income protection insurance. You can insure yourself against a diagnosis of a critical illness like cancer or stroke or heart attack and this would be uh, usually covered by something called, surprisingly, critical illness insurance. And you can insure yourself against dying early, and that's covered by life insurance. So the combination of insurance that you opt for depends very much on your personal circumstances, uh, your preferences, your attitude to risk, and everything else. So, you know, a junior doctor with no mortgage and no kids is is likely to have very, very different income protection and life insurance requirements to a 40-year-old consultant or GP with three kids and a large mortgage. So yeah, I think it, you gotta, this doctor needs to think about protection uh, and, and sooner rather than later. Um, now I mentioned that not getting protection was my biggest financial mistake uh, so far. And the reason why I got protection too late was for three reasons really. Uh, I felt pretty invincible when I was young. Uh, I, I am still young, not even 40, uh, sorry. Outrageous. Uh, But I don't know why I felt invincible, especially as I liked high-risk sports, like surfing, kite surfing, and mountain biking. But as soon as I had children, I took out protection. But this might have been too late, um, in in all honesty. Uh, I think the second reason why I left it too late is because I'm pretty frugal, and I like to minimise any what I perceive to be unnecessary expenses. So, partly, I think that's because I came from a working class background and had loads of med school debt to repay, um, and I just kind of felt that paying more money for income protection was just not needed, but it, it was, and I'm so glad that I have now set it up. I set it up years ago, but um, a final thing, and I reckon this might apply to a lot of people, is I had no idea where to get the right cover for the right price, and I was pretty suspicious of the salespeople that masqueraded as financial advisors who targeted my naivety um, with free lunchtime talks and things. and this last reason is exactly why we set up Medics Money. You need to understand that independent financial advisors that specialize in doctors, like those on Medics Money, can search the whole market and find the best policy for you. In contrast, restricted financial advisors search, as the name suggests, a restricted section of the market and they may not find the best policy for you. And slightly annoyingly, um, the biggest firms that target doctors are restrictive financial advisors. So you just need to understand that difference between independent and restricted, understand what you can assure yourself against, and understand that, in our opinion, Money is the best place for doctors to find a trusted financial advisor who specializes in doctors. Um, Another final bit of small print is this doctor mentioned that they were in the NHS pension. Great work, it's a fantastic deal for the vast majority of us. But just make sure at an absolute minimum every year you get a total award statement every year and check that it's accurate. And again, we've got loads of information about this on on the website. But that is a thing that needs to be done every year. So in summary, uh, from my point of view, uh, I'm not going to head into Ed's territory on the National Insurance but this doctor's doing amazingly well. Um, few small things to think about. I think the lifetime ISO restriction, um, can't take it until 60, got to think about that. Protection is the biggest thing for me missing from this plan and definitely get a total award statement for the pension.
1: Yeah, I, I agree and I think, uh, you know, just think uh, you know, this guy, guy's really, really clued up and uh, knows his stuff. Yeah. Um, hopefully that, uh, that podcast or this podcast always helped.
0: Yeah definitely. Uh, So yeah I hope that was useful and so many of you have sent in your scenarios and um, I mean me and Ed could literally do these forever really because this is what we've been doing. This is how Medics Money started with just us helping out our colleagues that we worked with and then friends of their colleagues with Scenarios exactly like this, so if you haven't had the misfortune to work with me and Ed over the years, you can still have our unsolicited opinion by sending in your scenario to the podcast and we can make it as anonymous as you wish and uh, go through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, send them in guys, uh, we'll do our best to answer them.
0: Perfect. Uh, I'm slightly nervous that my kids are about to barrel through that door yeah. on the way back yeah. from school I very need, soon. I need more coffee. You need more coffee probably a good time to to say that's a wrap yeah sounds good thanks so much for listening everyone thank you so much for everyone who's sharing telling their colleagues about it we just passed a hundred thousand downloads which is amazing absolutely crazy really guys yeah yeah and that's purely because people have been sharing it telling their colleagues about it so thank you so much look forward to catching up with you on the next podcast in due course yeah bye guys